welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast Tour Dailies. We're here to talk about stage nine of the Tour de France. But before we dive into all the action from today, my name is Abby Mickey. I am joined very briefly by Kaylee Fretz. Kaylee, hello. Hello. Dane Cash. Hello. Hello, Abby. And Rona McLaughlin. Hello. Hello, Abby. He didn't wave this time. <laughs> he learned he learned his lesson for now. Waving doesn't make a ton of noise on a podcast. Before we talk about the very exciting and tumultuous stage nine, I don't mean just the weather when regarding the weather, and stage three of the Giro Rosa, this episode is brought to you by Continental. So we're in the Alps again. With all our talk of Team Tube inside and Team No Tube, there's one contender that keeps going at Grand Tours, and that is tubular tires. When the riders are hitting the climbs of Latour, they want tubulars that they can trust, both uphill and especially on the downhills, especially today. There were puddles out there. The Continental competition is exactly the tire trusted by a quarter of the teams in Latour. They're also often ridden by teams that aren't even sponsored by Continental, but choose them over their sponsor. It's actually true. Conti competition tires are handmade in Germany using a combination of black chili compound and veteran puncture protection. The best thing about the competition tires is you can use them too. So if you're going the tubular route, ask your LBS to install a set of Continental competition tubulars. Thank you so much to Continental for sponsoring this episode. Uh, and if you check out my tech of the time trail galleries two-part series on the great cyclingtips.com website um there's actually some hidden hidden uh, continental tires on there blacked out in disguise it's been a it's been a favorite of pros for quite a while particularly in the rain particularly in a day like today less falling down today there was rain not quite as dramatic as when egon bernal won and there was the landslide that ended the race early but the weather was pretty dramatic today, and so was the stage. Kaylee's only with us for a couple minutes, so Kaylee, do you want to give your thoughts on the stage before you catch a flight over to Europe? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm imminently headed to the airport here, and so you know I have about five to ten minutes before I need to pop off to a a flight to Frankfurt and then to Geneva and then catch up with the with the tour tomorrow. I, my thoughts on the stage. My thoughts on the stage are that. That's exactly what we hope to see, right? I mean, we had we spent the entire day with a rider, Ben O'Connor. Amazing ride today. We heard after the stage that he wasn't even intending to be in the breakaway today. Amazing ride. Balanced, tipping back and forth between taking the virtual yellow, not taking the virtual yellow. Ends up moving himself up to second place overall. In addition to that, we saw Igita. Kudos to you for your prognostication, Abby. Honestly, I can't believe that. Like, honestly, I don't know why I picked him. It was like a gut feeling. I was like, this is a great idea. And even though he finished mm, not that high up there, I'm, I still am impressed with my skills. It was, it was very impressive. Lie. I'm impressed. Yeah, him and Naira Quintana off the front as well. I mean, the, the big breaks are, are what we want to see for the rest of this Tour de France. Because as we saw in the final couple kilometers today... Pogacar is still far and away the strongest climber in this bike race. We also know that he's the strongest time trialist in this bike race. But the stage today is proof that that Tour de France is never over, right? I mean, there was another rider in the virtual yellow today. Yes, he didn't, didn't end up taking it. 
but we saw a UAE team that was sort of on the edge of capable of controlling this race. We saw a Pogacar who was dominantly strong, but we saw other teams willing to take it to him. And I'm pretty excited about the next two weeks now because I think they've seen a method, right? They they know what they have to do. The rest of the peloton knows what they have to do. And that balance between the strongest rider in the race with a weaker team is going to be really interesting for the next couple of weeks. Is that the end of the podcast? Podcast That's over? That's It's over. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Pogacar today, it's interesting. It's like he he really wants to show us that he is the strongest rider in the race at every possible opportunity. And I think, first of all, Chapeau to him for doing that because he has not ridden a conservative race. You know, yesterday and today he, he decided to really take it to his rivals, except for Ben O'Connor, I guess. Well, he did take time back on Ben O'Connor too, but he, he, you know, he put in a late attack there and he really wants to show that he is the strongest of the GC riders in this race. But the question is, can there, can there be a stage? I think it would have to be a high mountain stage where a Richard Carpass Enric Moss, Oran, or or Ben O'Connor, Ben O'Connor. Now that he is only two minutes down, uh, can they get into a breakaway from here on out, and then do something? Because today we did see Ben O'Connor just way, you know, rocketed up the overall standings, but he was pretty far down to start. What we what we really need now, I think, for an exciting race is for one of the riders within six minutes of Pogacar to get into that break and then see what happens. I, I I'm not sure it needs to be a high mountain stage. Because in a high mountain stage, I feel like Pogacar, okay, you get up the road, you're four minutes up the road, there's two climbs to go, he just comes across to you, <laughs> right? I mean, it certainly looks like he could just do that on his own. To me, I think it's it's all these transition stages over the next two weeks, and we have a lot of them where something a bit more unpredictable can happen. Still very hard stages. I'm thinking more like stage seven, right? Where you've got a pile of cat threes, a cat two, a very hard stage. But in some ways, those stages are harder to control than just, okay, let's just go over three big mountains today. Particularly since I think we saw today that UAE is set up more for the high mountains because they've got riders like Micah. They're set up a little bit better for the high mountains than they are for those transition stages. So I, I think I think transition stages where that potentially happens, the problem is... You need something sort of hard enough in the near the beginning of the stage, some crosswinds, a good climb, a, a really tricky descent. You need something to get that gap over Pogacar. And then... Yeah, just looking at the stages to come, we've talked about this already, but I, I feel like the, the non-mountainous stages, there aren't enough of those opportunities to really make that initial gap, except if there's crosswinds in and around Carcassonne on uh, those stages, uh, 13, 14. The, and 14 uh, is a pretty lumpy stage too. Th- I think those are the days in the, non- in the non-mountainous uh, category it's those potential crosswinds days where we're going to see a potential for that kind of split it's just you know it's not easy to force a split in the peloton at that high speed before before i pop off here i'm gonna i don't know what run sheet abby's got for this uh this podcast but there's two things i want to talk about before i gotta go one is how incredible pogacar is i mean i, I i'm trying i'm just trying to think of a time when we've seen this kind of dominance anytime recently uh Granted, we're missing a bunch of the top riders. I don't think, personally, I, I never, I never had Carapaz as the second strongest rider in this race, and he, and he now appears to be. But even so, you have to sort of admire the panache, right? You have to admire the fact that he didn't really, he didn't need to do anything today. He could have just sat at the back of that Ineos train, just hanging out, and he still would have kept his yellow jersey by a little bit, and 
even if he didn't keep his yellow jersey, he could get it back from Ben O'Connor probably later in the race. But he didn't want to. He wanted to hit off the front. And, you know, I think the more that we sort of learn about Tade Pogacar and his personality and who he is and the kind of rider that he's going to be, I think the more that we're going to we're going to understand that he loves doing that kind of thing, that he is a rider that likes to ride with a lot of panache, uh, that he likes to, to, you know, put the boots to his his competition whenever he possibly can, which should make for some exciting racing this this next couple weeks, even if it's just a matter of sort of basking in the pretty incredible talent that we're watching on our television screens. Uh, I was kind of watching the, the final kilometers of the climb today, though, when, when Ineos started riding. I, I'm, you know, obviously we've seen Carapaz attack eventually, and so that maybe was the plan all along, but I'm fairly sure part of that plan was to ensure the yellow jersey stayed within the UAE team to keep the team under, not not so much under pressure, but just ensure that you wouldn't have the likes of an AG2R Citroen right on the front for the next few days to, you know, honor the jersey that, that Ben O'Connor had. And, you know, I think that was part of Ineos' tactic to, to weaken his team a bit further for, for a later attack. Now, Carapaz does look like the second strongest rider in the race at the moment, but, you know, he's made... Uh, a big attack two days ago in that run in to the to the finish of the classic stage. Uh, he you know made a big effort to try to follow Pogaccio yesterday, and now today he's also made an effort that you know was sort of just heat up Pogaccio to counter attack him and put more time into him. So I'm sort of thinking you know would he have been better served today just to ensure UAE stay in the jersey, keep the pressure on the team, and um, you know he might only get one proper opportunity to to really put it to Pogaccio. And all the all these little moves are are sort of eating away at his own chances of, of getting and making the most of that opportunity. I mean, AG2R is going to ride the front anyway now because they're going to ride the front to defend Ben O'Connor's second place. Like they're they're going to be super excited that he's on the podium at the Tour de France. It's not like they're going to line up on the front and defend it like they would a yellow jersey, but they're definitely going to help UAE if if Carapaz or. I think the move though where Carapaz where Carapaz goes to try and you know make his move, I don't see many of the AG2R riders being left there at that point to to really to to assess the UAE team. But yeah. But if it's a transition yeah. stage, then they will be there. And like Nathan said yesterday, I don't think the politics of the Peloton are such. I don't think that UAE is going to get a lot of help uh, because because AG2R also knows that they've got second place and and you'd hope that they don't just immediately start riding for second place that they say okay well. Maybe there's a chance we could take advantage of a crosswind stage later in this race. Maybe there's a chance that Ben O'Connor takes two minutes on Pogacar at some point in this race, and then you have you have the yellow jersey, right? I don't. I would hope anyway. I don't know if this is a realistic thing, but I would hope that most other teams are not going to put their hand in the air to help UAE when they've got the dominant GC rider, right? That 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 doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, unless you're just just trying to hang on to. Just trying to hang on to second place, which would be a lot of things don't make sense. Yeah. Well, Ronan, you got to the second thing that I want to talk about, which is just what Ineos did today. And and I saw some sort of immediate reaction. It was like, why are they riding to defend whatever fifth or whatever Carapaz is in now? Uh, And I I was just going to say that I agree with you, which is I don't think that they were. I think that they were intending to put more pressure on UAE going forward, right? And, And making sure that they hang on to yellow. And that could could make a big difference by the time they get to the Pyrenees. The difference between UAE riding between now and the Pyrenees and UAE, UAE not riding between now and the Pyrenees could be 
you know, it's basically the difference of whether Pogacar has any help at all when they're headed up to Luzardi Den and some of the big nasty climbs that are coming in the last week of this race. It's and it's not even that it will change what UAE will do all that much if they still got the jersey, but it's just a difference between a team like AG2R who you know would be it would make their tour to have the jersey for a few days. Yes, I think we're all hoping to see Ben O'Connor stay on the podium. I think that would be pretty cool. But um, you know that that just to give the UAE team a few days off. Remember a lot of those team, a lot of those riders have come down. We've seen another rider come down today. I didn't quite catch if he. You know, got back up if he got back into the bunch it was either Bjerg or uh, McNulty I'm not sure which one of them but uh, one of them came off on, on a descent and didn't really see where he went into that hedge so um, you know there's certainly the riding wounded Mark Hersey's also pretty banged up uh, and another few days you know even having to ride easy on the front and let brakes go away is still going to be more tiring on them than sitting in the wheels and letting a ride on the front or whoever it might be and Sort of to come back to what you, your first point, Katie, was you know how good is Pogaccia, and I think today you know he he would have been in the wheels realizing that Enios were ensuring his team stayed in the yellow, and I think it was kind of a case then of well, you know we almost like checkmate. You've you played this tactic on us, Carapaz. You made your move, it didn't work, and now you're going to pay the price because uh, I am going to do what I did yesterday, and I'm <laughs> just going to take a minute and a half out of Ben O'Connor and what one point nine k. It's just wild. It's just wild. Yeah. I do think, though, that I only seen parts of yesterday's stage, but as impressive as it was, we, you know, maybe a little bit of a caveat that, you know, we didn't have Roglic there, didn't have, um, you know, any of us at their strongest. Uh, and there's a few other GC riders who, who are out. And we had a similar scenario today where, yes, he is dominant, um, you know, but it's perhaps you know, it, it maybe not as as just outright crazy as it looks. And it, by no means is it certain that he's going to be able to sustain this sort of level all the way through the Pyrenees and that. And the time trial was sort of the same. You know, he won the time trial, yes. But, you know, I was there that day. He definitely got the best of the weather conditions. And, you know, if Bissiger or Coombe had the same conditions, then Pogacis third in that stage. And it's not, it's still like we would be raising eyebrows at it, but it's it's not just as incredible as as it is now where he's won the time trial and certainly for Bissiger he got the absolute worst of the conditions that day and and you know I'm fairly certain he would have took Pogaccio otherwise so I'm still hopeful just in terms of the race that we might see a you know a crack from Pogaccio would make it more interesting I've made the comparison before but I I am kind of reminded of Nibali in 2014 when he like at the end of the race he was more than seven minutes ahead of second place but a big part of that was due to the abandons of the other two race favorites and it's you know Nibali never finished on the podium of the tour again so you really have to look at that in context and say it is kind of a bummer that Roglic and Gary and Thomas, both the other two, I think, previous favorites, suffered the incidents that they did. And now it just makes Bogatra look that much better than everybody else. Picks for the rest day? Rest day. Rest day so. pick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pogacar's going to attack on the rest day. Kaylee, you're first. Uh, my rest day pick is uh, Rigoberto Ron. What makes him win the rest day? Explain. Um... I, I think it's obvious. The video coming out of him dancing to in his singing. I love that video so much. The, there's going to be another do, one tomorrow. Do, so. do, 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 do. Yeah, great video. Precisely. That's how he wins the rest day. Ronan, who's your rest day pick? Uh, my rest day. Go to Dane there first. I hadn't even thought about this. <laughs> Dane Cash. 
Uh, it's Mark Cavendish who is watching all of his rivals disappear in this race. And so he's going to enjoy his rest day, I think, with more sprints coming up and the field continuing to thin. My pick is Garrett Thomas because I think the guy just really needs like a little bit of a nap. He's coming back. He's coming back around. Give him a day with like a little easy spin. A lot of day, a lot of the day spent in bed. I think he'll be up on the up and up for stage ten. Gonna take that half hour back. No, I mean to help Carapaz. Obviously, he's not in the GC conversation anymore. But Carapaz, like Garrett Thomas, can resume his. I don't know. His his extraordinary domestique abilities from years ago in the mountains for Carapaz in the coming weeks. Could take a stage win too. All right, yeah. I'm going to pop off here. I'm going to go do my first plane trip in about 18 months. That'll be fun. Wow. All right. Bye everybody. See ya. My rest okay. day pick is Ellie's Ellie Jasper because in his first tour he nearly burnt down the hotel on the rest day. Uh, apparently he set the room on fire. Oh. So looking just my, my my it's not really a pick, it's more of a word of warning to the whole Peloton who obviously listened to this podcast to not to let him near any electrical equipment on the rest day tomorrow. That's not really a pick. That's that's not someone who's gonna win the rest day. That's someone who's who's gonna might lose the rest do day. damage on the rest day. <laughs> it's a win if he doesn't burn something down. Fair enough. Before we move on to some of the DNFs slash slash DNSs for today's stage, a little update on the general classification, I think, is in order. Pogachar clearly still leading the race by two minutes and one second. And now Ben O'Connor, after his incredible ride today, is sitting in second with Rigoberto Iran five minutes and 18 seconds down from Pogachar. Bit more movement below them. Eunice Vindegaard moved up a spot. Uh, Richard Carapaz moved up a spot, mostly because uh, Alexei Lutsenko dropped from second to eighth overall. There's still that chunk of eight riders who were all within like three minutes of each other. So that kind of battle within the top 10 is actually a lot closer today than it was yesterday. So, And obviously anything can happen with Ben O'Connor moving up into second place. The one person in the general classification who really lost out today was Wout Van Aert, who is no longer anywhere near the top. (laughs) Yeah, he had a pretty valiant effort to stay up there yesterday. He really didn't lose that much time on stage eight, but uh, stage nine proved a bit too challenging. He finished 31 minutes down on the day. Obviously, his uh, GC bid very, very much over. Not that it ever really started. If you're Yumbo Visma, they would tell you that it never started. Although I'm sure in the team they were hoping he was going to hold on as long as he could. Uh, but it's clearly Jonas Vingegaard at this point. I think yesterday there was still a chance he could have taken the jersey before Pogaccia went motorbiking. Um, uh, you know, so he probably went all in yesterday and then you know realized it wasn't possible today. And um, yeah, sadly. We now have our answer as to whether uh, Van Aert will get through the mountains or not. But he'll obviously still get through them, but not. I do think, I do think, I mean, just looking ahead, I wouldn't imagine that it would be a focus for him. But if he decides to try to become a GC contender, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him do some big things. I mean, we saw him climbing with some of the best riders in the race last year. This year, I think he was less, he was in a, he was in a worse position to try to, kind of defend his GC position uh, going into the Olympics, you know, his goal for the year, his goals for the year are just different. 
and I think he's probably he's been his training has been different. Uh, the the physique that he has brought into the Tour de France is not a watts per kilogram focused physique. I think he's more focused on watts period right now uh, ahead of the Olympics. Not so much worried about the watts per kilogram uh, aspect of it. And I think maybe in the future he could change his mind, uh, which would be interesting to see. This year though, I just don't think he was that. You know, he wasn't prepared to to really battle for the for the GC. To, uh, to switch his focus, it would mean relinquishing that, uh, or not relinquishing, but just uh, moving away from that battle with Matthew Vanderpool. Which um, does does either of those writers want to admit defeat in any way, shape, or form? <laughs> they just want to keep beating each other. Unless unless Vanderpool's taste of yellow has convinced him to do the same, which hopefully it, it doesn't. Hopefully neither one of them do do this because. We love seeing the battles between them, but we ha- I think we've seen so many riders over the year once they get a taste of, ooh, maybe I could be a GC contender, and then they change everything and try to go for that, and it usually doesn't work, although Tom Dumoulin did win a Grand Tour after kind of deciding he wanted to be a Grand Tour rider, so who knows? I think we should bring it around to Dane's rest day pick, Mark Cavendish, because Mark Cavendish t- today saw quite a few of his sprinting rivals no longer part of the race. Tim Mellier is a DNF. Uh, Arno Demar and Brian Cocard both finished outside the time limit. So I guess this means that Cavs' potential bid for green is looking pretty good right now. Yeah, we already didn't have the strongest sprint field ever coming into this race with no Bennett and no Grunewagen, no Fernando Gaviria. But, you know, we had some big names. And now it's like Cav. He should have a field day. I mean, just looking at the rest of the sprinters in this race, it's kind of hard to see anyone really challenging Cavendish on the pure sprint stages. And the battle for green, because the riders like Sagan have enough rivals kind of among themselves, with Michael Matthews and Julian Alaphilippe, enough rivals for those kinds of hilly stages, it's like Cav doesn't really have many rivals left for those pure sprints. And, and you know, we've seen him handily defeat Jasper Philipson already. Uh, from Alpes and Phoenix, and that's who Alpes and Phoenix is left with after Merlier is is gone. Uh, so I kind of see Cav just just continuing to dominate the sprints with really nobody there to challenge him from here on out. I guess Master, Nasser Buhani. It's all up to it's all up to Nasser Buhani at this point uh, to to challenge Cav. But in in terms of the points classification. Sonny Cabrelli jumped in the break today and got some points, so he's kind of moving up. Michael Matthews is still a versatile enough rider that he's still kind of hot on Cavs' heels at the moment. Cavs winning by 38 points in the points classification, but if if Matthews keeps like kind of picking up points along the way, and and now Cabrelli, I don't know how he'll do. You know, after today's stage, he finished like third, um, which is madness, but. He he got himself a bunch of points, or he got himself some points. So that's kind of an interesting... It's still an interesting race for Green, regardless of a bunch of the sprinters being out at this point. I think what it also means is that any stage that could potentially be a, a sprint is now almost certainly going to be a sprint because uh, the Koenig will be you know more than willing to ride for, for every sprint now. Of course... They probably won't have the same assistance from Alpes and Phoenix as they previously had, given that you know the, a huge chunk of that leader train being Vanderpool and Merlier are both out of the race now. Uh, so Philipson is sort of on his own. Uh, but I still think you know Quickstep will 
will control every breakaway much closer, bring every stage possible back to a sprint and um, yeah, we all know why that will be to try and aim for that stage one record and also take the green uh, sprinter's jersey based on points. Also, just hats off to Cavendish for making it through stage nine. I mean, when he came into the race, I think there was a lot of question marks. Can he survive the high mountains after not really preparing for the Tour de France? It's not easy to just go into the the hardest Grand Tour in the world and make it over some of these Alps. And of course, there we still have the really hard stages in the Pyrenees to come that he will need to get over to continue battling for green. But the fact that he has outlasted Merlier and Demar. Uh, Demar in particular is a rider who and he's got endurance. He's he's a Milano Sanremo winner. He is a rider who's been up there in the classics and and he's got a little bit of climbing versatility. So the fact that Cavendish was able to hold on past both of those riders is really impressive uh, for him to to do that after basically not expecting to race the tour until the last minute. Speaking of Milan Sanremo winners, Jasper Stoyman finished twenty fifth, only eleven minutes down. That is an amazing ride considering that he's not a light dude and it was a mountain stage and he finished only 11 minutes down that's so impressive well i'm just gonna say i'm gonna pick jasper Steuben for every stage from now on <laughs> but uh what i was gonna say is i don't i don't personally i don't really buy this idea that cavendish wasn't preparing for the tour i i i believe he was hell-bent on from you know from the first moment that became a possibility he's been he's been thinking about this i think as far back as when he joined quickstep he was thinking about getting back to the tour um you know we we've seen him come into real good form in, in the balois belgium tour not by coincidence we've had all the crap no better way to say it from lefebvre and the in the media as well uh and i you know i think that's been Cavs' ambition from the start you know i'm not saying that's a bad thing i just think they maybe were playing that line that didn't expect to be here, taking it day by day, you know. So there was no extra pressure on a writer who is going to have all the eyes of the the world on him anyway. Um, but I certainly believe his intention was to race the tour. And I mean, if not at if not when he signed for Dakota Quickstep, definitely when he won four stages of the Tour of Turkey is probably when he realized, oh, it's a possibility, and. With Lafavre, I wouldn't be surprised at all if all of that hullabaloo about Sam Bennett was just like a farce, and we and Cav knew months ago he was going to raise the tour. When it came out that that um, Sam Bennett was leaving the team, it seems like Lafavre is a guy who holds a grudge. <laughs> yeah, and that's you know one of the sort of things I was looking at because that news came out so early in the season. Uh, you know, and it did undermine the the Fervus team. He's all, he's all about winning. He's not going to do anything that's going to jeopardize winning in the Tour de France, especially. Um, and to come out and say that his, you know, who we all thought at that point was going to be the the main sprinter for the team in the Tour, the guy who won green last year and was going to be going for stage ones this year, you know, to announce so early that he's going to be leaving the team, just you know, it, it it's not something that you would normally see played out in public, you know. Certainly not pre Tour de France, and certainly not you know. I think that was May or something like that. That news first came out. It was super early in the season, yeah. Would normally not expect it, ex- except with the kind of quick step. Then maybe you might expect it. Last bit about today's Tour de France stage: Nairo Quintana has moved into the mountains jersey ahead of Michael Woods by eight points. The fight for polka dots is on. 
Yeah, big names like Quintana versus Woods, uh, Wildpools, and, and Ben O'Connor now kind of up there a little bit, Aguita in fifth. And uh, we've seen this a lot of times in the Tour de France of the past decade or so, even beyond that, where it's kind of the the guys who, you know, they could probably finish 10th on GC, and they decide to instead get up the road and go for stages and possibly for mountain points. And I think it's going to be a pretty entertaining battle, the uh, polka dot jersey battle over the next two weeks here, uh, considering the big names that are up there and the hard stages in the Pyrenees that are to come. Yes, we would like to see more of a fierce battle for the yellow jersey, and maybe that will happen. Maybe we'll get something unexpected, but at least the polka dot jersey battle will be pretty fierce. And at this point, it's pretty close. Uh, still anyone's game. And I'm glad to see Quintana up there. He was uh, way, way back there on stage seven, the uh, kind of a transition stage in the lead up to these two mountain stages. Uh, he finished like 20 minutes down. And at first it was like, wait, is, is, Quintana, is something wrong with Quintana? Because, you know, he he's not like everyone was expecting to win the tour this year, but he didn't look that bad before that. He was only two two minutes and 45 off of yellow heading into that stage. Uh, but maybe it was just him taking a little bit of a, of a break ahead of the high mountains. And now he looks like he's back uh, to, you know, hunting for mountain stages and, and potentially getting up there to battle with woods and, and pools and some of those other guys for the polka dots. And I guess there is actually one more thing that we should talk about today. And that is the Mayo Sabla. Jan Bakalens has moved into the Mayo Sabla after today's stage. One hour and 29 seconds down. Hot on his heels, Emmanuel Bookman. Ooh, we're getting into that part of the race where we're starting to see the bigger name. I mean, uh, Jan Bakalan's former tour stage winner and Bookman former fourth at the tour. So it's it's that time of, of the race where we're starting to see the bigger names battling for this for this prize. I think these guys have peaked too soon. Though. Like if they're an hour down now, it's impossible to sustain that all the way. Yeah, realistically speaking, you need to be second place right now, you know, because second place on the podium in Paris is most likely going to be an hour down. It'll be like Ben O'Connor in second overall and also in the Mayo Sabla at the Let's rate things really are going. hope that that is not the case. All right. That's all we got for the Tour de France today, but we still are going to talk about the Giordana before we get to that. This episode is also brought to you by Saris and their Infinity Technology, the first and only indoor trainer technology that adds multi-dimensional movement to stationary cycling. Featuring fore-aft and side-to-side movement that mirrors outdoor riding, Saris has been making trainers for decades and is dedicated to discovering pain points, why, that exist between people and their rides. One pain point with stationary trainers is that they are stationary. Adding movement stimulates the vestibular system, which makes indoor riding feel like it should. Infinity technology reduces joint pressure, adding comfort while you ride, and you can ride harder for longer, you know, inside. Saris is driven to break down barriers between people and their bikes. Infinity brings the joy of movement indoors. For more information on Infinity technology, visit saris.com, S-A-R-I-S.com. Thank you so much to Saris for sponsoring this episode. All right, so the Giro Donne today, a little bit similar situation to the Tour de France with the general classification. Um, hopefully not over, but seemingly so. There was a impressive break that went off the front of the race. It was a pretty rolly terrain day today. Great for a breakaway and a breakaway one, but 
not a breakaway of riders that you would have expected. Mariana Voss took the stage from a group of four with Lucinda Brand, Leanne Lippert, and Elise Shabby coming in second, third, and fourth. Ruth actually brought on Lucinda Brand for her audio diary today, so let's hear from her really quick. Hey, cycling tips. Um, coming at you again from the third day. Third day? Oh, no, I can't be losing count already. Third day of Giro Rosa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my day was not that exciting, to be perfectly honest. So I'm bringing on my teammate, Lucinda, who was away in the breakaway. So, Lucinda, tell us about your day, which was more exciting than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first part was not so exciting, too. Um, but the ones we hit... Um, the climbing part, or yeah, uh, punchy climbs, short ones, 3k more or less. Um, it started to be a bit more exciting and it was super wet out, uh, which meant here a super slippery. It almost felt like being on an ice place or something. Um, but we, um, yeah, uh, kind of break away in the downhill. <laughs> if you could see also on the, the ones who were with me in the breakaway, it was a small breakaway of four riders. And um, yeah, it was not easy at all because it constantly kept going up and down. And um, yeah, when we went down, I had to be careful to not crash. <laughs> and uh, yeah, in the end, uh, it began was not uh, easy getting time. But finally, uh, we got one minute and it started to be a bit more uh, nice pace up there. It, it was a long break away for um, nearly 50k, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, um, yeah, with having Marianne Voss there in the break, it was uh, hard to figuring out how to beat her. And um, the final part was straight, not so much going on and headwind, which didn't, uh, was not in our advantage. So um, I decided to just gamble for the sprint, even I'm not the fastest and definitely not faster than Marianne, but it was slightly up and you never know if someone else goes too early or something. So, um, but yeah, um, I started it at 200 meters, I think, and um, only Marianne could come over. So uh, I'm proud. Yeah, I think it was the best result I could make today on the second. So uh, it's nice to... Uh, get back a good feeling <laughs> yeah it was a good it was good to have you up there made it a good day for the rest of us to you know have something to celebrate today <laughs> so yeah okay guys thanks a lot for listening talk to you tomorrow bye 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 boss was really emotional crossing the line she dedicated her win to jolene Verschuren, who passed away on thursday after her three-year battle with brain cancer uh, Voss is pretty well known for reacting to every single win like it's her first. And if you go to her pro cycling stats, she's won 234 races, but that doesn't include her cyclocross and mountain bike victories. She's, I think, around 400 at this point. And every time she wins a race, she is just so thrilled to have won a bike race even now. And she was really emotional after the stage. You could tell when she Cross the line, she looked like she maybe shed a tear or two. And, and yeah, she dedicated her win to Jolene. And I feel like given the dedication, it was a pretty apt top two with Lucinda Brand, the world champion of cyclocross, coming in second. All right. And before we talk about tomorrow, a quick word from Heidi Franz. Stage three is over. Um, I'm, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, well, I spaced yesterday and, um, cause apparently even being in the Gruppetto, 
um, especially when boss is there, is not really the easiest groupetto to hang in. So uh, I was tired enough after that climb um, that, yeah, I spaced on yesterday's diary. So I apologize to everybody. Uh, today went exactly as I predicted it to go, actually, um, with Canyon and uh, Yumbo not going for GC anymore. Um, I figured they and even Trek as well um, would definitely be going for some moves after uh, after the flat-ish um, 60, 70K um, going into all the technical punchy bits of the stage. And that's exactly what happened. Um, it was pretty, uh, it was actually really chill for the, the first 70K. However, it was like pouring down rain, um, which takes some focus. So it's not exactly like easy to just sit in the Peloton, but, um, but it was nice to just, um, chill for a little bit, but kind of fuel up in time for those last, uh, well, the second half of the race, which I knew was going to be really hard. And, um, yeah, sure enough on that first kind of real punchy climb, um, of like three K, uh, is when Voss and, um, that group of five, um, eventually four went up the road and yeah, that was the breakaway that stuck, um, without any SD works in it. Uh, they, well, they kind of had to wait for Neve to come back after crashing, um, cause it was so technical and so wet on these descents that it was pretty, it was pretty sketchy. Um, but, uh, everyone at rally stayed upright, which was good. Um, and yeah, I actually, I was proud of how I fought today. I, uh, felt really good. My legs were really good. And, um, I was hoping for a little bit more to be able to go with some stuff over the, you know, over those little punchy climbs. But, um, instead I was, I was just fighting back. Um, and I managed to fight my way back to the Peloton a number of times today. And then, uh, was able to just, just being in the Peloton at the end, um, for the sprint for fifth, like actually meant a lot to me. And I was really happy to be there. Um, I, I'm not used to the, to being there for those finishes and, and I didn't really have much help going uh, into the last 6K. So I just tried to stick, uh, around people that I knew were going to be sprinting, uh, for those last spots in the top 10. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I got pushed around quite a bit, uh, being by myself, sort of. And, um, yeah, nothing, nothing to write home about result wise, but I'm, I was just really happy to be up there in the end, um, come through safely, no crashing for me and, um, and felt really good technically too, uh, on the descents and stuff, which was, which was really nice. Tomorrow at the Girodone, it is a uphill time trial. Woohoo. Seems like an opportunity for the race leader to further extend her race lead. It's true. She is the world champion of time trialing. So and she's also, a, let's say, a decent climber. Yeah. And I think <laughs> given <laughs> she's all right, she's fine at it. You know, given the top contenders at the moment at the Girodone, of course, the race is notori- notoriously bad for getting the results out on time in a timely manner. But there's no one really that close to her to be able to take uh, take 
take the jersey from her, really. And with Volering in third, I think it's more likely that Volering is actually going to move into second ahead of Ashley Moomin-Passio because Ashley's an amazing climber, but she's not excelled at time trials in the past. So I think that that is a possibility. But other than that, the closest rider to them is Lizzie Dagnan. Um, I think three minutes or so down. And she's also not exactly a time trial specialist. So it'll be interesting to see how tomorrow goes and we can talk about it on tomorrow's episode during the rest day. That's all we got. That's all we got for today. Everyone's nodding, but we're on a podcast, so... Yes, that <laughs> is true, Abby. That is true. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it's a sign to end the episode. We will be back tomorrow on the rest day. We don't have a history segment for Jose today because tomorrow's a rest day, but she will be back tomorrow to talk about stage 10. So never fear. There's usually something cool that happens. On, well, maybe not cool. There are usually newsworthy things that happen on rest days. Often not cool. It's true. If there is, we'll talk about it. So thank you so much for listening. Bye. See you.